0: Good morning, IBC family. So nice to see both of you. You know the ones that have four-wheel drive up here, right? <laughs> we'll call it that. Um, oh, man, it's so good to see you. Uh, did everybody have a great Christmas yesterday? Oh, man, what is Awesome. Did anybody get a chance just... We don't have time for stories, but anybody have a chance to, like, just be speaking about... Jesus around family that maybe or friends that maybe don't know him. Anybody? That's so rad. Uh, we. I, I have a habit of I just kind of wait for the because because everybody knows my vocation. So and, uh, inevitably it comes up and it's always weird stuff like, you know, hey, what do you think of this alien weird thing that's going? You know, whatever. And it's um, so uh, it was kind of cool because my dad, as you know, has, has dementia and he was there. We were all down the hill with my family and my. Uh, uh, brother-in-law's brother, my sister's husband's brother, uh, and I were talking, and, and he's got some different beliefs and stuff, and so I'm just kind of sharing some of the biblical, just basic biblical things about you know what we believe, why we believe it, and, and uh, my dad never really—he um, grew up Roman Catholic, but um, but uh, anyhow, he as as the conversation ends up. Uh, my dad's standing over here and um, this other, you know, gentleman goes the other direction and my dad just goes, keep talking, keep talking. He wanted to hear it more and so that was such a blessing. That was so special. so it was cool. And we made it back up. God blessed us. Uh, we were able to make it up in our rear-wheel drive van that we'll be getting tires next week. <laughs> um, and uh, didn't slip and slide around. So praise God for that. And, uh, and of course, I think, I hope all of you took the time to go scrape off your satellite dish so that your DVR will record the Jets game today, right? We need to do that. I did it twice this morning just to make sure. Uh, don't want to forget that. Why don't you uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And we're going to continue our series in, here in Luke. Did it, did, how many of us? Uh, how many of you were here with us uh, on uh, Friday night for the Good Friday, or the? I'm sorry, the Christmas Eve service. That's a Good Friday too, just not always on Friday. But yeah, Christmas Eve. That was a. I I was so blessed to worship with everyone. Luke two, verse eight, and and the. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen uh, as it had been told them. Verse 21, And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Our holy and gracious God, we thank you for gathering us together in your name this morning. Lord, we pray. For all those who are out uh, ill today, and we see that spreading around. Um, pray for those who who uh, didn't feel safe on the roads, which is perfectly reasonable. Uh, Lord, we just pray that uh, uh, as they. Uh, participate with us online that they would be blessed as well Lord uh, grant to us that we might hear your voice as your word is read and taught we ask this morning is that you might humble us as we worship and uh, offer our devotion to you And, and as you convict us of our sin our judgment and our corrupt attitudes towards others let us see others in a light in light rather of the grace that we have been given grant repentance to us as we reflect on why jesus came and how he operates to bring light to the darkness around us Thank you, God, for sending Jesus into our desperately needy and corrupted world as one of us to dwell with us, to suffer and to die in our place. And we thank you for his grace and his mercy toward us while we were yet sinners. We humbly now submit our hearts and our minds and our attention to you, our, our good God, as we open your holy scriptures this beautiful morning to learn from you and to know you more through what you have given us to know you by we offer up to you this time in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. And growing up in Temecula, I uh, used to spend most of my time with my friend Randy, whose family had built this beautiful home in the Meadowview neighborhood. If you have uh, know that, there's uh, kind of near the mall area. It's an older place with all these custom homes. And uh, if you go from Solana way you 'll go right in there and he 's right uh, at the at the end of Solana there and and at the time it was it was surrounded by fields and rolling hills uh, Today, the area is littered with track homes and shopping, but back then it was it was completely it was just totally rural and and a little further down the road, um, there was a a field uh, that we used to sit in. Uh, where uh, Kmart and Mervyn's now, I mean, where Hobby Lobby and Food for Less now reside. You can see how old I am. And and we would sit there in this field, um, and we would watch the field across the street on Inez Road. This was Inez Road. We, we'd watch the field across the street uh, where the Promenade Mall and then Costco and... Apartments, homes, car dealerships, those are all there now, Uh, but they were just fields at the time, and we would watch the crop dusters go back and forth in the fields, in Temecula, imagine that. Um, And so, at his house, they were like these rolling hills that that were right around it, and we would watch as hundreds, if not thousands of sheep would just kind of come rolling over those hills, and there was a there was a there was a single shepherd, and he was he was this short, skinny Hispanic man who we discovered did not know any English at all. he couldn't even understand it when we tried talking to him um, but along with the sheep, he had also drugged a little single actual trailer that looks like it had been pulled out of a swamp, and then also a large water tank to provide water for the sheep to drink as we would approach the sheep the sheep would run from us and immediately to their shepherd they wouldn't even let us get close to them which is interesting you could unpack that some but but their 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 only trust was in their shepherd but the one thing that we noticed more than anything else about these sheep and you'll know this if you've ever been around uh sheep is that the smell they they are stinky and dirty Uh, like even if we could get close i don't think we would want to pet them even as junior hires we wouldn't want to pet they were just so dirty now i'm not sure what the sheep were being raised for Uh, i imagine it was probably wool i'll say there is nothing quite like a well-made wool suit if you've ever had one of those just you feel like a million bucks so maybe the sheep provided wool for, for high-quality clothing. There's also nothing quite like, and some of you would agree with me, that rack of lamb done really rare, rare with that, that dark drizzle that they kind of put on it, right? And that mint jelly that goes with it. It's so good. Now, I'm not sure that, they, that these particular sheep were raised for meat because I, I don't think that they were that young. Coming... Meat coming from more mature sheep, I think, is called mutton. And uh, apparently it's not that good. Kind of tough or something. I never tried it, but I guess it was a popular dish among the Puritans. Which makes sense, because most of the Puritans uh, came from Britain, and the British are not known for their great food. So, (laughs) besides wool and meat, though, there are some cultures, particularly the Jewish cultures in the first century that used sheep for something else. Anyone want to take a stab at it? Sacrifice. That's right. They would, well, they wouldn't, I don't think they would sacrifice too many older sheep, but the, they would have the lambs and they would um, raise these sheep to have lambs for sacrifice. And, and so uh, the shepherds, some of them, there were some shepherds out there that had the priestly duty of examining newborn lambs for suitability as an unblemished sacrifice. And a suitable lamb would be wrapped with a strip or a band of cloth that was often torn from uh, a shepherd's robe that they called a swaddling cloth. Um, And that would signify, once that was wrapped in that, that the... The lamb was unblemished and suitable for a sacrifice. Now, we can't know for certain if these were the kind of shepherds who the angels came to, but it is, an, it is interesting that Jesus was born in a place that a sacrificial lamb would likely be born in and was wrapped in the kind of strips of cloth that Jesus was wrapped in and then was examined later by shepherds. That's kind of interesting. You know, that this whole section... Uh, of Luke verses one through twenty-one, we started last week, and uh, and we're looking at this week. It's about God choosing to visit people in their poverty, in their powerless, uh, their powerlessness, and their oppression. Today we see Him do this in a manger among the shepherds. Verse eight, Luke two eight and nine. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So this gives a location. Joseph and Mary had traveled to Bethlehem, uh, which fulfills a very specific uh, set of prophecies that he would be called a Nazarene, which is in the north, uh, but would be born in Bethlehem, which is in the south. Um, right and and uh, the the fields were outside of Bethlehem there and and there there are some towers in that region that that uh, were would have been employed at the time so that uh, several flocks could be watched by a single shepherd and so several shepherds would come together with their flocks um, and they would take turns sleeping and watching. Um, and that makes sense if all the shepherds were in one place at one time if the, when the angels came. Very interesting. Now, we have records from later on, about 400 years later, uh, in rabbinic writings that indicate that the shepherds were considered outcasts. They were used, or rather they were unable to keep the ceremonial laws, and so they were considered unclean. They were also considered liars and thieves, and and their testimony was therefore inadmissible in court. But we don't know if priestly shepherds fell in that category, especially in the first century. Um, They would have actually kept the lower floor of this tower to uh, kind of ceremonially clean for the sake of the sacrificial lambs that would be born there. In addition, much of the Old Testament narrative portrays shepherds in a positive light so, so we really don't know for certain how these shepherds would have been seen. Nevertheless, that's an, a messy and undignified job, um, and, and, and you know, especially like if, if my experience meeting a, a shepherd is any indicator of it, um, he, he kind of smelled as bad as the sheep did. Um, and so, uh, you ever seen what was it? Was his name Mike? Micro dirty jobs. That was one of those. One of those, so this unidentified angel of the Lord came, and the shekinah glory of God lights up the place. And so this wouldn't have just been confusing to them; it's terrifying. Can you imagine? The angel shows up, all this light. You're like, Well, uh, Earl, Earl, wake up, uh, dude. What'd you put in my coffee? <laughs> this is this is scary. Any of you? Any of you have that little? Um, you know, like one of those little precious moments, angels along with your bric-a-brac, you know, like, like something like that. That is not what angels look like. Every time, pretty much every time we see an angel speak in the Bible, what do they have to preface what they're saying with? Fear not, don't be afraid. And you know what that tells me? Angels are terrifying. Like lions, tigers, and Keith Richards. Have you seen him? Time is not on his side anymore. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That's verse 10. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Don't be afraid because I, uh, I'm going to try to say some Greek words here. u angel which is pr- to proclaim Something? Proclaim good news? That's the word we get evangelism from. They come to evangelize these shepherds with good news of harin, joy, or, or delight. That is, Lane. Exceedingly great. Exceedingly great. Peter reveals how we should see this today first peter 1 8 he says first peter 1 8 though you have not seen him you love him though you do not now see him you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory so so notice we have that article the here the good news will be for all the people that's kind of interesting it's kind of confused a lot of scholars is the angel speaking of Jews, or is he speaking of everyone? And, and there's some disagreement, but I think in all likelihood he is speaking of the Jews. And I'll tell you, that's, that's not a problem for us here and now. You know why? We know the gospel goes beyond it. Romans 1.16. Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Jesus first came to the Jews, right? So it's fine if the angel starts with God fulfilling his promises to Israel. We know it doesn't end there. Jesus' ministry is to the Jews. We have no indication, it, or was to the Jews in his incarnation. We have no indication that he went outside of Israel as an adult. Uh, and, and, and you have Samaria, which is sandwiched between Galilee and Judea. But but the people were largely mixed race Jews, so it's still kind of Jewish. and. Um, but, but really, we only see him going there once. So really, his ministry is most, uh, most seen among the Jews in Judea and Galilee and, and a few of the Romans in those areas. His earthly ministry was aimed at Jews. But once he rose from the dead, then he commissioned the apostles to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. So we see that it goes both, it goes to both now Luke chapter 2 verse 11 if we'll continue there for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord now, this day the beginning of the time of messianic salvation begins right here in this moment and in fact the title Christ or Messiah is so married to that baby in the manger that it's used like a proper name not only is he identified, though, this baby as the Christ, he is also identified as the Lord. That that term is Christos Kurios, right? And remember, Christos, which is Christ, Kurios, which is Lord. Remember, we talked last week about how John one one, the Jehovah's Witnesses, say there's there's no and since there's no definite article in John one one, which reads Kai theos you have to put an an indefinite article there. So we would read it literally word for word. It's, and God was the word. Um, We translate it because English is ordered differently. And and the word was God. Uh, They say we need to use an indefinite article, which is a, so they would read it. The word was a God. Here, though, in Luke 2.11, where it says Christos Kurios, do they say that it should read Christ a Lord? They don't say that, Uh, even though there's no definite article. We read it, Christ the Lord, as if that article was there. In their own Bible, which was translated by the people who didn't even know Greek, it reads Christ the Lord while they still translate one John 1 1 the word was a God using actually a lowercase g now that that may be way too much Greek for most of you I'm a nerd so I like it but hopefully it is interesting for those few of you that might be interested in Christian apologetics and and in, in talking to uh, people that have different beliefs and in, in uh, uh, different cults and religions and things like that um, because it is useful because they that's one of their main arguments But this one verse um, is the beginning of the fulfillment of a promise made to David. I don't know if you enjoyed my rabbit trail there or not. I did. (laughs) 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 7. Verse 12 and 13. 2 Samuel 7 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, that means you die. Um, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So Jesus is called the son of David and the angels proclaim that he is Lord. And in Luke 2, 12, it says, and this will be a sign for you. Think the lambs that we talked about this will be a sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger it's a sign this good news of great joy is expressed in in an unusually cryptic scene we saw earlier that there are some parallels to sacrifice the sacrificial lamb that we we normally us here wouldn't see right away because most of us aren't out hanging out with shepherds raising sacrifice animals um, if you are, I guess that'd be neat to see. I don't know. But, but, but God works, He loves working in dark places. He, he loves working in unexpected places. And, you know, I, I love reading histories. Most of you know that about me. I'm just, I'm again, kind of a nerd that way. And I, sp- I spend most of my time <clears throat> reading biblical and Christian history but I really like history all around. I like American history. I like all kinds of kinds of history. But one, one peculiarity about me is I love reading about music, particularly rock and roll. I love reading about music. And, and music has always had its dark places. But as rock and roll evolved, that darkness became more and more apparent and celebrated. And, and in the midst, God has done some very unexpected things. I used to see a band called P.O.D. Some of you may know who they are. I used to see them all the time. Before, they. I, I'd see them. They were like playing free shows, opening up for all the bands that nobody's ever heard of in, uh, the, at the Soma down in San Diego at the old meatpacking house. I probably saw them there dozens of times. I, I, I saw them all the time. And when I mean, we'd see them at Denny's afterwards and 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 they were really cool, and we'd talk to them and hang out with them. They weren't a big band at the time, and then they signed with Atlantic and got huge. Ended up with MTV Ply, uh, Time and and uh, having their music and movies and all kinds of stuff. But before that, or, or rather, when they had just started, when they had just first signed with Atlantic, um, we, we had a concert, and they were playing, and, and we were producing it. My, my friend had me kind of in charge of the main stage there, and and it was a big music festival. and So I spent some time talking to all the guys, and they were they just always been the coolest guys ever. Um, I don't think they'd ever recognize me again, but they were just the coolest guys ever. And uh, so my friend and I are talking with Marcus, and they had been touring with a band called Korn. Some of you heard from them. And what Marcus said about the members of that band is that they were some of the most twisted people he'd ever met in his life. Well, a couple years later, two of the four members of Corn gave their lives to Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that cool? And I, I, I don't know the stories behind that, but I have no doubt that Sonny, Marcus, Trey, and Noah from POD had something to do with that. You can keep praying for those guys, because they're doing some cool stuff. Well, long before POD was ever a thing, some uh, guys that are, they're like, oh, I don't know what they're singing. They're still, they're still at it, I guess. But uh, Dave Mustaine... Lars Ulrich and James Hetfield started a band. Some of you might know that band as Metallica. Uh, Mustaine, he was eventually kicked out of the band largely because he had just serious addiction problems. And and he had been experimenting with black magic and other satanic interests. Um, And so uh, they got rid of him and he and David Ellefson who was a bassist, began a band called Megadeth. And that, they just, they used that whole like 80s, it's cool to be a satanic metal band, like oh, we're going to listen to Slayer and we're going to have t-shirts with pentagrams on them and everybody's going to think we're really scary because Satan and all this, and most of them are fake anyway, but um, they, they, they they achieved great success through this uh, like rebellious satanic thing, right? But then they're on on tour as early as about 1986 and another musician by the name of vincent furnier began to warn dave mustaine and other musicians about their heavy substance abuse uh furnier was uh just coming out of some very serious addictions in fact he had almost lost his wife who by the way he's still married to to this day um So eventually, Vince Veneer, who is the entertainer who plays the character Alice Cooper, gave his life to Jesus. And and Dave Mustaine and David Ellison followed suit with that in about the early 2000s. And they're all professing Christians at this point. Now, I'm not going to put my stamp of approval on everything that they do. Um, but they are well-known for helping people in and out of the music industry in their own communities. Um, Vince Furnier has, has started a bunch of charities, most of them Christian charities, to help people in the Phoenix area. Um, in fact, there's an Alice Cooper song called Salvation that's pretty much a clear, straight gospel message. And a lot of his newer stuff deals with his faith journey and contains warnings about excesses and temptations and well as well. And he claims that any of the songs, older stuff that's, um, that has uh, sexual promiscuity and stuff like that in it, he's pretty much axed from all of his shows. But he does continue that kind of dark, macabre kind of performance that... He he describes it as a as as like a horror comedy, um, and do do with that as you will. They all have to make their decisions on how they're going to follow Jesus and pray through that. And I'm just not in a place in my life where I I really have a right to judge that. I, I'm going to withhold my own judgment, but I do think that it it sort of illustrates how Jesus loves to go into some of the dark places that a lot of us uh, that may seem more of, at least think of ourselves as being more visibly good and upstanding would often avoid. We see some of that kind of thing happening in places like China and Iran and and other communist or, or Muslim countries and places where Jesus is reaching people in hard to reach places. In fact, later on in life, Jesus wasn't accused of hanging out with all the right people. Right? He was accused of hanging out in all the wrong places with all the wrong people. He was a- accused of violating the law of Moses and being a drunk. Don't you wish Jesus had just been more careful about what he looked like to the other faithful Jews? He wouldn't have been accused of such things. You see, Jesus Jesus wasn't as careful as some, of, some would have which, wished that he was. I'm kind of glad he wasn't that careful. See, some of us do need to be more careful about what we expose ourselves and, and who we hang out with. But I think a lot of us, a lot of us may need to be a little less careful. That's that's a little bit scary. And imagine that a pastor suggesting being less careful. But listen, some of us need to be more careful, some of us need to be less careful. I doubt any of us has figured out the right balance. Jesus is the good shepherd. We are sheep. You know what? Sheep are messy. Yeah, yeah the sheep around you probably stink. The, the sheep you see on sti- TV probably stink. The sheep you see on the news probably stink. But guess what? You're sheep too. <laughs> we all, we all rely only on Jesus if we're to be guided in the right direction and we're gonna look at that whole log and splinter in the eye thing when we get to Luke 6 that's coming up we're in Luke 2 now but you know that's a lesson that I've learned some very painful things on if there's anything God has disciplined disciplined me most severely on it's the log splinter thing because I find it so easy to go around pointing my fingers at every finger at everybody else, and not recognizing my own sin. I am dirt, dirt. I am nobody. Like Martin Luther called himself, uh, he called himself a dung worm, and I can relate. I have no right to judge another believer on how they're following Jesus apart from clear and overt sin. I can only teach the scriptures and pray that I don't mess them up too horribly. And and if you feel like God's giving you a green light to assess the liberties of other Christians, you know, I I can't even judge you on that either. (laughs) I'm a worm. I have enough trouble. I have enough sin in my life. I have enough trouble with the first 10 rules that God gave. You know, once I can master those first 10, maybe I'll see clearly enough to start picking apart everybody else's lives. See, Jesus wasn't born in a a sanitary environment. It was messy. It wasn't easy to to figure out. The first people to respond to the birth of Jesus were not priests and rabbis. They weren't the respected people of the community, the people that everybody else looked at and thought, oh, I wish I could be as, as, have as much self-control as they do. The people that God sent to see Jesus first, they were unclean. They were untrustworthy. They were undignified. They were shepherds in a field. See, we need to resist the temptation to sanitize this story. It's not this quaint agrarian scene. It's messy, just like our context here and now. And when we sanitize this, we fail to see one of the most important character traits of God. When I point the finger at how messy another Christian is, I fail to see my own filth. When I question the salvation of a confessing Christian because of the mess I see in them, I credit myself with the work that God has done because my pride blinds me and seduces me into believing that I'm somehow more worthy of Jesus because I've kept myself cleaner. Instead of recognizing that the only thing that can clean my mess is is the blood of Jesus. If his blood is sufficient for my mess, it's sufficient for any mess. I'd like to say that Paul called himself the worst of sinners because I hadn't been born yet. Here in the midst of this messy story, the Shekinah glory of God shines in perfect brilliance. And then this happens in verse 13, Luke 2, 13 and 14. It says, suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among with whom he is pleased. Look at that. The heavens open up. The messy scene is an, aura, is an object of praise by the heavenly host. The multitude of angels have witnessed God's glory as he created the cosmos and formed the earth and all that's in it. And they cry out at this messy scene, glory, glory to God in the highest. And looking down at the mess and on earth, peace. We tend to see him singing. Um, We respond to that with singing, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Now they may, may or may not have been singing in this case. Um, but, but the poetic stanza here is, is definitely a profound praise. Shalom. Peace on earth. R- remember this is, this is in contrast to Pax Romana. The Roman peace. We talked about Pax Romana. Uh, Pax Romana demanded faithfulness to Caesar that came at a great cost to many but shalom shalom is a, a free gift of god out of his faithfulness to those whom he favors and it came at a great cost to jesus to many of the romans uh, or to many of the people the romans were seen as the saviors of the world yet the true savior came to a messy place in a small city where there was no room for him at the end God proclaims peace among those with whom he is pleased. I, I actually think the CSB translates it a little bit more clearly. This is how the CSB reads Luke 2.14. It says, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people whom he favors. See, because it's, it's not speaking of people who have done something to please God. We know that doesn't work. That would be inconsistent with the rest of the passage and everything else that talks about God's relationship with us in scripture, right? He doesn't love us because we pleased him. We respond to his kindness. This is actually a technical phrase from the Judaism of that period. Uh, It's a technical phrase for, for God's elect, or for those who God had poured his favor out upon. The shepherds are an example of that. They didn't choose to be visited by the angels. They didn't go out looking for the angels. They weren't asking for it. It came as a complete surprise. God reached out to them through the angels as a favor specifically for them. He didn't give his favor to everyone, just to the shepherds in this particular context. His peace is the same. It isn't given because of anything that we've done but because God has chosen for himself a specific people to shower grace upon grace, the grace of his peace upon. This, this message is brought to the shepherds who are used to being avoided, and yet the, sh- the angels go and seek them out. Now, I don't know about you, but if I witnessed that whole angel thing, I'm not just going back to what I'm doing. It's going to affect me, right? And so the shepherds, they respond in Luke 2.15. We're going to see this here. The shepherds respond. When the angels went away uh, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. So once the angels had passed tents left, right? Once they had left, and, and I mean, pr- it probably took a few minutes for the shepherds to gain their composure. I, can you imagine? Like They're like, what, what did you see? That? What, did you see what I saw? <laughs> this is crazy, right? It wasn't like the shepherds were more prone to believing something outlandish like a four-year-old does, right? They, they could have never dreamt up what, what happened. It was bizarre. It was incredible. I remember a long time ago, I, I was driving through Winchester on Highway 79, Winchester Road, um, heading towards Temecula from Hemet. I worked at Hemet, Air, Hemet Ryan Airport, and I also worked at French Valley Airport, and um, so. And, and my home was uh, where I lived was in South Temecula. And so I was driving towards French Valley Airport after work. And um, as I'm dry- driving, I, I see something strange fall from the sky. It was kind of spinning and twirling, and it looked like two pieces, and, or two something. And for a second, I thought it was a plane. I realized it was just a couple of birds playing. And, uh, so anyhow, I stopped up by French Valley Airport to see Sean. Both of us are licensed pilots at the time. Uh, we're both still licensed pilots, but... Uh, I don't know about him. I'm not current anymore. I can't afford that. But um, I'm on, you know, I, I stop him, and I stop and I'm talking to him, and, and I told him what I saw, and, and he says, yeah, he goes, my mind plays tricks on me sometimes uh, too, you know. you um, just kind of see things, you know. It, 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 you do that. You just kind of see things, and you're like, did I really see that? And it's, it's not, right? So he and I are both making small talk. We had moved past that, and we're talking about whatever... Dumb college kids talk about. And a sheriff's deputy walks into the terminal. Sean and I are the only ones in there. He walks in. And he says, "Do either either one of you think you could identify the body of a pilot?" Yikes! <laughs> we looked at each other. We're like, "Uh, wait a minute." And uh, so he describes the the, the sheriff's deputy he describes the plane, and and so with the description of the plane, we knew who to send send them to. So thankfully. Uh, neither of us had to face that grim, grim duty of, of identifying a pilot. Um, but, but it's just one of those things that, that even as a, as a pilot, you just would never expect to see. There's just You don't expect to see those things. In fact, my mind wouldn't even accept that I had seen what I had seen. Uh, it, it just didn't commute. And I think that's the same thing. If, can you imagine if you'd seen angels like the shepherds did? You're like, I, somehow, I drank something funny. I drank something funny. You know, somebody put something in my drink. Um, You wouldn't believe it. But they responded. The shepherds responded. They they agreed to go. So just like there was no reason for Sean and I to question what the the deputy said about the existence of the plane crash in the body, his, his testimony was reliable enough, right? The shepherds also trusted the testimony of the angels they believed them they weren't going to see if it was real they were going to see what they already knew was real even if they couldn't believe their eyes they they were witnesses to the testimony of the angels and so says they went in haste they found mary and joseph and jesus who was lying in a manger just as the angels had said The, the the shepherds had had witnessed all of this and then they testified to what they had witnessed They didn't preach this pointed evangelical gospel message. They testified to what they had seen and heard. I would challenge you to try that. Testify to what God has done in your life. Testify to what you've witnessed as you've read the scriptures and as God has worked in your life. And see if the gospel won't be preached from your mouth. I think it will. Luke 2.18 And all who heard it All who heard it, heard what? What the shepherds said, right? All who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Are are we amazed? Do we wonder? Are we amazed when we read the scriptures? You know, we have the testimony from eyewitnesses in the New Testament. Do we marvel at what is revealed in the Bible? Do Do we read the Bible with that? How often do we read our Bibles with a sense of wonder and astonishment? Because that's the, the appropriate response. The dead are raised. The blind are healed. Jesus dies for our sins, is raised the, from the dead. A virgin bears a child. And we just, I have, how often do we just read it? Because like, oh, I should know this stuff. And we just kind of skim through it. Wonder and amazement. And Mary went even further. Mary treasured up, it says in verse 19. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She meditated on these things as a great treasure. Even Mary couldn't comprehend all that was happening. Even even in her lack of understanding, God used Mary to usher in Messiah, Messiah. And, and we know now because we have the testimony of Scripture, of eyewitnesses. We know now more now than Mary knew at that point. So our testimony is powerful. And you know, sometimes we're afraid to share our testimony because we're afraid we may not know about, we may not know enough. Is any you don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever thought that I don't think I could really share this? I think I would mess it up. I I would misrepresent things or something. Listen testify to what you've witnessed. Testify to what you've witnessed. If he can use Mary and the shepherds, he can use you. How much did the shepherds know? And the shepherds, it says in verse 20, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. R.C. Sproul, he said, that's the destiny of the Christian to give glory and honor, dominion and power and praise. And that's what, the, that's what Christmas is about. God's glory in the midst of our mess. And what's interesting is in the midst of the, the messy and dishonorable place, the shameful place that Jesus was born, his identity is still clear. Luke 2.21, it says, At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So he's a Jew, and he's given the sign of the covenant, the right circumcision, the the Abrahamic covenant, on the eighth day to fulfill the promise to Abraham. Genesis 6, or I'm I'm sorry, Genesis 17, verses 4 through 14. Genesis 17. He says, behold, my covenant is with you. This is God speaking to Abraham. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you, the land of your sojournings and the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Verse 9, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep. Between me and you and your offspring after you, every male among you must be circumcised Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people, and he has broken my covenant. remember, Remember, this is the old covenant. We have the new covenant now. And friends, this covenant was given to Abraham after he was declared righteous by God. Genesis 15, just a couple of chapters before here. It says this. And he, God, brought him outside and said, Look toward the heavens and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to them, said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. This doctrine, uh, it's a doctrine that we call justification by faith. And, And Paul and James spoke extensively of this in their books in the New Testament. It was not abraham's actions that justified him nothing abraham did justified abraham in fact you can read ahead in genesis how big a screw-up abraham really was he, he slept with the maid to try to cause god's promise to come true he lied about his wife sarah who was also his half-sister denied being married to her so that he wouldn't be killed for her and let someone else come and take her and and, and that was the second time he did that and all that but All of that happens, before all that happens, rather, God had declared him righteous. In the midst of his stupidity, shameful behavior, and overt sin, he was a righteous man because God declared him to be. And when you confess the Lord Jesus Christ, it is because God has begun a work in you, not because you somehow got it right. In fact, I love this. God began a work in you, and, and Paul says in Philippians 1.6, he says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What an awesome promise, huh? How many of, how many of you are like me can't wait for that day? Huh. I'm a mess right now. I can't wait to be complete. God entered the scene in your life when it was a mess. He isn't going to see your mess now and then flee and run from you. He continues to work in us in the midst of our messes. That doesn't mean that we should use it as an excuse to to purposefully sin. That would be called unrepentance. And then we have a whole different problem that we'll talk about. But what it means is that when you blow it, you can trust that God is not going to abandon you. It also means that we have no right to to point our fingers at the messes in other people's lives, but we must give them grace and be merciful. If God brought about Messiah, Savior, in the midst of a mess, can he enter in the midst of my mess? If God can enter into my mess, can he enter into the messes of others? If God sees through our mess, can we see through the messes of others? And if God has mercy, can I show mercy? And if Mary and the shepherds can see all this and testify to what God has done, is there any reason that I could give God why I shouldn't do the same thing? We're we're about to receive communion. So I want you to hold on to your elements and we're going to partake together. But what I want to do is I'd like for us all to take some time and reflect on the fact that each of us, if you're like me, each of us struggles to understand God's grace. We so often operate as if we somehow merit God's mercy. And many around us ought to just be more like us. You know, that's pride. And and Paul warns us not to partake with that kind of an attitude. 1 Corinthians 1, or I mean, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 27, it says, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So take some time to repent. I think we all probably uh, have some things we could be repenting of. And keep in mind that this is a sacred meal for believers. Those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you have not repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus, we would ask that you respect, respectfully uh, refrain from partaking. And if you want to put your faith in Jesus, please see Pastor Clint or myself, one of the elders, I think uh, Lance is back there. See the person who brought you if you're here for the first time, if somebody brought you. We would love to pray with you. For the rest of us, let's look upon this bread and this cup as we lift our hearts to the Lord. Our holy, heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Holy Son from his heavenly throne into our broken world. Humble us to see our own brokenness. Humble us to be gracious and merciful to those around us as you have been to us. Make us people of love, sacrifice, and forgiveness that we may receive the forgiveness you have given us. God, thank you for your fulfilled promise of the incarnation and your reliable coming promise of the return of our King. Make us ready to reign with Jesus forever in his kingdom and help us live redemptively now as long as your mission for us remains, let us express our thankfulness for Jesus by seeing people the way that you see them with deep love and affection. God, be present with us now as we prepare to receive this sacred feast before us. You have given us great mercy that we may be people of mercy, and it is by your mercy that the blood of Jesus was poured out on that horrible, beautiful cross. Lord, humble us now as we prepare to receive this holy meal in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Oh, God, humble us as we humbly partake of your perfect body and blood in the name of Jesus. We're about to sing a song at the end. One of the lines is, Who has felt the nails in his hands bearing all the guilt of sinful man? The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians Chapter 11, verses 23 and 24. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. If you would, if you put your little chalice here upside down, you can peel that bottom paper off and there's a piece of bread in there. Hang on to that while we... and we will partake in a second. Paul continues, And when you had given thanks, he broke it, and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake. And if you would, turn that little chalice over. And if you open the top of that carefully, because it will spill. You have your grape juice there. Paul continues, in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, let's receive. Paul continues, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we cry out, come Lord Jesus. We await your holy presence and we long to serve with humility and gratitude on your terms and your kingdom forevermore. We offer ourselves over to you as living sacrifices of praise as we enter this week and the mission field that you've given us in the name of the Father and of the Son